Howdy. What's going on? Welcome to the Pete Callender Show. Thank you for listening. I am Pete. You can hear the latest episodes at thepetecallendershow.com and any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up. I appreciate it. Maybe leave a review. That'd be fantastic. Uh, the show is made possible by patrons, people like James and Jan and JK and Jocelyn and LL and Trent and Terry and Teresa. Uh, so thank you very much for all of your support. Uh, also, the show is made possible by Mattress Man Stores. They've got uh, four locations here in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide. So if you are hearing this from uh, somewhere beyond the Asheville area, Western North Carolina area, uh, never fear, you also can get an awesome bed from Mattress Man Stores. They do ship nationwide. You can go to their website. They just overhauled the whole thing, knowing that a lot of people uh, still in need of good mattresses that Mattress Man has, um, but they're not going to be able to travel so much anymore, and so it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you to get into the uh, the showrooms. So they overhauled their website. Go to mattressmanstores.com, click on the Shop Online button. It's over on the right-hand side. Uh, you click on that, and you can order online right now with free local white glove delivery. Use the special discount code RESTWELL for an additional 20% savings uh, and that's on the entire website, RESTWELL, all one word, R-E-S-T-W-E-L-L, RESTWELL. And um, they've got a 120-day comfort guarantee, so it ensures that whatever mattress you decide, whether it's going to be the memory foam, that's like the kind that uh, Christy and I purchased years ago. Uh, we love our memory foam mattress, uh, but they also have inner spring mattresses, natural latex mattresses, pillow top mattresses. They have adjustable bases as well. Uh, so they have it all. Let the sleep consultants help you find the right bed for you. Again, five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local, sleep better, mattressmanstores.com. Again, that promo code RESTWELL, all one word, RESTWELL. Here's another number for you. 113,000, that is the number of new unemployment claims in North Carolina in seven days. 113,000 claims in seven days. News and Observer reporting that uh, this is based off of North Carolina Department of Employment Security data, uh, that 113,000 people filing for unemployment in seven days, that is nearly triple the number of unemployment claims that North Carolinians filed in the rest of the year combined. Federal data shows that the state had only 33,000 claims total in all of January, February, and the first week of March. So 33,000 claims up until the first week of March, and then 113,000. Well, that I mean, this is what looks like uh, what it looks like when you stop an entire economy. This is what economic collapse looks like. Not to be you know, chicken little about it or anything here, but this is what we are looking at now. I'm just growing more and more angry. I really, like, I'm, I'm getting angrier and angrier at China over all of this, and I know it's not healthy. <laughs> I know it's not healthy for me, but it is. Like, I've, I, I, I'm getting, I'm just getting really ticked off. Accompanying the deluge of new claims 
have been numerous complaints about the inability of the unemployment office to handle such massive demand. The agency has already been upgrading its computer servers, they say, so the website is less likely to crash under heavy traffic. And WTVD reported that the unemployment office is now looking to hire 50 new employees. So, irony of ironies, the unemployment office is so overwhelmed with the unemployed that they are seeking to employ people quickly. Nearly all of the 113,000 claims were due to COVID-19. North Carolina has among the nation's lowest unemployment benefits. Only about 10% of people who apply for benefits actually qualify. And of the, this is under the old rules. Now the regulations have been uh, relaxed uh, because it's, a, it's an emergency. And uh, people who did, uh, so those who did qualify in 2019... These are the this is the data that the News and Observer is reporting off of. And so those who did qualify last year, they would average about two hundred sixty four dollars a week for about eight or nine weeks. So about a total of twenty three hundred dollars over two months. And I think it's interesting that here, uh, like we're hearing that this is so low. This is and we've heard this for a long time from Democrats that this isn't enough money Um Yet this is what they're pitching as part of the federal relief stimulus for all of us. Now, it is possible that those averages will rise somewhat due to Cooper's order relaxing restrictions on the program, but Governor Cooper was not able to raise either the weekly payments or the amount of time people can receive them because that has to be done by the state general assembly. The legislative body has to do that. Numerous Democrats have called on the legislature's Republican majority to increase the benefits because of the avalanche of people suddenly losing their jobs. The unemployment fund currently has about a $4 billion surplus due to benefit cuts that Republicans passed in 2013. Not mentioned in the News and Observer's helpful historical rundown memory lane was the uh, multi-billion dollar debt that we owed the federal government because the benefits were so rich that Democrats had set up that it bankrupted our entire unemployment fund very quickly. And when that happened, we had to borrow money from the federal government during the recession, the Great Recession. And so uh, we ended up owing the feds, I think it was somewhere north, I think it was almost $3 billion, two to $3 billion, if I remember correctly. And then we had to start repaying it. And that was a that was a drag on businesses, because that's where that comes from. So um that's not included. None of that backstory. No, just the fact that Republicans had to cut the benefits in 2013, right, in order to balance the budget and get us out from under the debt payments, but whatever. Senate leader Phil Berger issued a statement last week um, that did not promise the legislature would increase benefits, but it did note that we have a multi-billion dollar surplus for times like this. This is going to be uh, one of the... uh, challenges for the Republican legislature, all legislatures really, is how much relief do you give? How quickly do you give it? Because we don't know how long all of this is going to last. And if it lasts a long period of time, then what do you do? If you drain all of the reserves immediately, then what? Then what? And I know there are a lot of people that are out there licking their chops over all of this saying, this is our opportunity to soak the rich. This is our opportunity to dismantle capitalism. This is our, I'm not kidding. Like the people, if you go onto social media, you will see them 
saying these things. They want to completely, what did Jim Clyburn, the congressman say, restructure things. So people are not going to let a crisis go to waste here. And they're going to try uh, to transform the American economy and our society uh, during a time of crisis, which is generally, um, it's generally how revolutionaries operate. Sometimes they create the crisis, obviously, but uh, that's how they generally operate. Joe Coletti at the John Locke Foundation says that the first best use of North Carolina's unreserved fund balance, which is the rainy day fund, uh, remains saving to prepare for a significant reduction in tax revenue. Okay, North Carolina already has a billion dollars in the savings reserve, but would need another $2.6 billion to carry the state budget through most recessions. The recession looming as a result of the coronavirus could test even that assessment. Okay, so th- this is this is going to be the challenge because right now nobody is making any money, and so yes, we're we're all running deficits in our households, right? So will the state because we don't have any money to pay taxes. I like my wife and I are looking like, okay, well, we're not going to be able to fund our tax liability from last year when I was working. So yeah, this is going to be an interesting year for the calendar household here. You know, I was working last year and now I'm not working this year. And now everything is all seized up again, uh, like in 2008, 2009. And so now what am I, you're, what am I going to do? What are we looking at? So I'm going to get a tax bill from 2019 that I have to pay with zero money and nobody hiring, right? And socially distancing and self-isolating and everything else. Um, and I know I'm not alone. There are people in way worse shape than we are. We had some savings. We're, you know, we have some savings. Um, there are people that are in way worse shape than we are. So what happens is the tax revenues start declining. And now the state, with their ongoing expenses, like teacher pay, um, state employee pay, right, capital uh, infrastructure uh, projects that uh, that were already uh, underway, uh, debt repayment, loans, Medicaid, education, higher education, like all of the all of the state budget of twenty four billion dollars or so, uh, there's going to be a hit to the budget now because the state's not going to be able to collect revenue off of people that aren't working. So, yeah, this is going to be very, very bad. Now, they've delayed tax filing, so uh, we have some time. Instead of April 15th to file the tax returns, they've pushed it back into July. So that might help. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) We'll see. Um, The governor held a press conference today, and um, I've got some of the audio here. He started off, um, well, first off, it was a video press conference to announce the signing of a new uh, executive order. As of this morning, North Carolina has 297 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in 45 counties across our state. We continue to test and continue to see cases increasing. Even though we didn't get enough testing supplies from the federal government that we needed, we found more ways to get people tested. And as of this morning, that number of people who have been tested is at least 8,438, 
and there are 10,000 more tests that are waiting to be run. I'm joined here today by our, our education leaders, and our, I will start with an update of where we are on our public schools. During the Great Depression, North Carolina's leaders made sure that the schools stayed open despite tremendous funding challenges. In that spirit, I'm not ready to give up on this year of school. However, we know that the effects of this pandemic will not subside anytime soon. Therefore, today I will sign an executive order that closes our K through 12 public schools across North Carolina for in-person instruction until May 15th. Now, I know that many parents have been expecting something like this. Many of you have become home school teachers in the past week, and I know that this is extremely difficult for you and your children. But this is what we need to do to help to slow the spread of the virus. And I'm committing to ensuring that our students get an education and get as much education as they can this year. Okay, I don't know what happened this year. So uh, through May, we are cut off of K-12 education until May, just like that sound like cut off before it was done. So uh, who knows if they're going to be able to get kids back to school, but that is that's a long time away, right? That's like two months away. So two months, they're going to be out of school. That's the executive order today. Not uh, only... Uh, did K-12 schools get postponed through May? Uh, there were other things that the governor now uh, goes over in this press conference that he also did with his executive order. It lowers the threshold to ban mass gatherings of more than 50 people. Along those lines, this order closes gyms, movie theaters, sweepstake parlors, health clubs, and other similar facilities. We want you to close as soon as possible, and the order takes effect this Wednesday. Because of their inability to conduct social distancing, this order also closes hair and nail salons, barber shops, and massage therapists as of 5 p.m. Wednesday. As with the other facilities, we encourage you to close even before that date if you can. And for the other one, that is also 5 p.m. on Wednesday. Grocery stores will remain open, as will restaurants providing takeout and delivery. And I ask again, please do not overbuy at the grocery store. I've had almost all of the grocery store officials on the phone, and they continue to tell me that supply lines are open. They are also hiring former restaurant employees. And I appreciate the people who are continuing to grow and to supply our food. Yeah, could you imagine if this distribution system shuts down? It can't. It, you know, it, it can't. And this is, this is the week when this is all going to start getting very bad from a medical perspective. The people... Uh, that are infected, the numbers are going to rise, and it's not simply because people are getting tested, it's because more people are getting it. Community spread, 
transmission, community transmission, is here. They are. They have cases. We have cases now. We have, there's hundreds of them in the state already. Uh, there are hundreds of cases, and there are a ton of people that they don't know how they got it, which means that they picked it up somehow, you know, just about going about their normal daily lives. That's what that means. So it's going to get a lot worse. And so that's why everyone has been advised to stay home for as long as possible, because if you could stay home and not help spread it, then the idea is you can, you know, flatten the curve, keep people from overwhelming the healthcare systems uh, all around the state. Mecklenburg right now is particularly hard hit. Wake County is is hard hit and they will get uh, uh, hit even harder. It, this is this is where we're really going to start see, uh, seeing the ramp up is this week that we're in right now. Um, all right, Cooper now goes over some of the things that his administration has already done, and this is how he kind of wraps up his opening remarks. Throughout this crisis, we have taken early, aggressive action to flatten the curve and to help prevent a spike in cases that would overwhelm our medical system and jeopardize the health of those who are ill. We've declared a state of emergency. We've closed all K through 12 public schools until May 15th. We've banned large gatherings and closed certain businesses to comply with that. We've closed restaurants and bars for dine-in services. We've closed businesses where it's hard to practice social distancing. We've urged people to maintain social distancing and to stay and work from home as much as possible. And now we want to strongly urge those who are in the high-risk category to stay home as much as possible. The CDC has more defined this at-risk category, 65 and over with underlying conditions. I'm going to let Dr. Cohen talk about that in a few minutes. I know that these actions cause hardship and heartache for a lot of people, but they're necessary to save lives. We are tracking our level of resources, both supplies and human resources, and right now we need both. We're recruiting volunteers and companies to supplement our health care workforce. We've already had 300 people reach out to us and we need more. This includes clinical providers such as doctors and nurses, clinical support such as pharmacy and imaging and respiratory care, and facility maintenance and administrative support. If you want to volunteer and if you fit into one of these categories, go to ncdhhs.gov coronavirus to learn more about how you can help. As we're seeing around the country, critical supplies and equipment are also running low. Masks, gloves, gowns. Our state is pursuing all available channels to buy more of these supplies, but we need more help. We're also asking volunteers to provide medical supplies if they're able, including personal protective equipment like masks, gowns, gloves, goggles, and other gear. A number of people and companies are stepping up to do this, and I thank them. 
I've also convened calls with North Carolina's top manufacturers to discuss, among other things, how they can potentially switch their production lines to start making these critical supplies. I know many of them are already working on this, and I appreciate that spirit. For generations, North Carolina has been a leader in textiles and manufacturing. Now is the time for us to harness that innovation and leadership and step up. I appreciate everyone on the front lines of this pandemic, healthcare workers, childcare providers, custodians, restaurant crews, state employees, law enforcement, corrections officers, grocery store workers, and way too many to list. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen more than ever how connected every part of our society and economy are. As these dominoes have fallen one by one, so have our spirits at times. But I've seen truly amazing examples of people caring for each other. Neighbors, friends, pastors, family, and even complete strangers. Even though we're keeping our physical distance, our connections to one another are more meaningful than ever. Stay strong in those connections or reach out for help if you're having a hard time. North Carolinians know how to help each other. In that spirit, I would like to help the governor. Please, sir, move the microphone about one inch lower. For the love of me, please. The popping of the peas is perturbing. Sorry, it's it's all I know. It's picky, picky, or I should say, picky, picky. I hate the popping of the peas. I'm sorry to do it to you. I just I hate it, uh, and it's so easily avoidable. All right. So one of the things uh, that there I thought was interesting there is he's asking for people to donate in businesses to you know crank up production of uh, of masks, and uh, you know he hearkens back to North Carolina's. Uh, role in the textile industry like i'm not so sure there are many of those places left anymore most of them have gone to china right again china um but uh so i'm not really sure that that's the i don't know maybe there are a lot of operations that that can easily convert i hope so i hope so you know people are going to sort uh, sort of move to a essentially a war footing against this thing some people have been prepared for it. I got Christy and I, we we took some steps a month or so ago. When, as I was telling people, I was saying this looks like it's gonna get bad, and I've been saying this everywhere, and better be prepared. And I've preached preparedness, and uh, yeah, so like I went out and bought some food stuffs, some rice and such stuff that doesn't go bad, and uh, that was off of the advice from uh tim at old grouch's military surplus tim told me to do that so you don't need mres you know these things mres are made for you know lasting years um you don't need mres you can get by with rice and beans dry you know dry goods like that um also the uh, masks certain kinds of masks before they uh you know became completely sold out 
we didn't go crazy. Christy and I didn't go buy a dozen of them. No, we got one apiece. We got one mask apiece. And if we need to use the mask, hopefully we won't have to, we will use the mask. But um, that's that was based on the advice that I got from Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. His advice now, I saw him on Facebook, he was saying, businesses, you guys need to adapt. Think of new ways to do your business. And you got you have to harness the internet to do it. You, you've got to use the available mechanisms that are out there to help you um, in this time. Because Old Grouch's Military Surplus, his store is shut, is closed down. He shut the store down because uh, of the uh, social distancing and stuff. And so what he's doing now is selling it all online. You can go oldgrouch.com, go to that website, oldgrouch.com, and uh, take a look at the stuff that he's got for sale it's an old school, traditional military surplus store with a mix of modern and vintage items. He's also got tons of great advice, Tim does, at oldgrouch.com. Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs economists say that the coronavirus is going to inflict greater economic pain than they previously expected as they warned of a record plunge in U.S. output in the second quarter and a deeper global recession. Morgan Stanley's U.S. economists, led by Ellen Zentner, told clients in a report over the weekend that they now see American GDP falling 30% in April and June. That'll drive up the unemployment to an average of just under 13% over the period. 13% unemployment. We go from historic lows and almost overnight to 13%. At Goldman Sachs, Jan Hatchis's, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, said, a team said in a report they now expect the world economy to contract about 1% this year, which would be a bigger decline than even that witnessed in the 2009 financial crisis. They were already projecting a 24% drop in U.S. output in the next quarter. Such predictions are raising fears of a depression, but Morgan Stanley economist said in a separate report that a sustained contraction should be avoided given the response of fiscal and monetary policymakers. Both Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs anticipate a recovery beginning in the third quarter, although that is subject to risks, obviously. Uh, in a Bloomberg interview on Sunday, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis President James Bullard predicted the unemployment rate may even hit 30% in the second quarter due to the shutdowns uh, and economic activity has come to a near standstill in the month of March. And it is against this backdrop that the U.S. Senate began working on a uh, relief package for Americans. And there was a conference call on Thursday featuring more than 200 members of the House Democratic Caucus. Lawmakers, one by one, laid out a sweeping wish list of provisions they want to see included in the nascent package, including a boost in infrastructure spending, an expansion of Social Security benefits, and funding for states to set up an all-male voting system in the event the pandemic extends into November's elections. Majority Whip James Clyburn said, quote, this is a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. Even in catastrophe, they can't stop the class warfare. They, they just can't help themselves. And over the weekend, Sunday night, Democrats filibustered the bill that they had worked on. It was a bipartisan bill that Democrats helped craft, 
and then they filibustered it because uh, Nancy Pelosi said the House will do their bill and it has to have all of these other things in it. And so the Senate Democrats followed Pelosi's instructions and they killed the bill. Mitch McConnell, a Republican majority leader, he took to the floor on Monday morning and laid into the Democrats. The eyes of the nation are on the Senate. For days now, we've been engaged in intense bipartisan talks to build emergency relief legislation on an historic scale to push resources to our healthcare heroes and American workers and families. Democrats and Republicans sat down together. We crafted this version of the proposal together. This compromise package would push tens of billions of dollars to hospitals and healthcare providers. It would send direct checks to millions of American households, direct checks. It would massively expand unemployment insurance in this crisis. It would stabilize industries to prevent mass layoffs. And crucially, it would deliver historic relief to small businesses to help Main Street employees from being totally crushed, crushed by this pandemic. But yesterday, when the time came to vote on these urgent measures, our Democratic colleagues chose to block it. So why are the American people still waiting? It's a good question to ask. I hear the markets are not doing well today. They like to ask the question of us, why not move? Why are Democrats filibustering the bipartisan bill they helped write? An appropriate question to ask this morning as the country waits on us. So let me give the American people a taste of the outstanding issues we woke up to this morning. Here are some of the items on the Democratic wish list over which they choose, over which they choose to block this legislation last night. Tax credits for solar energy and wind energy. Provisions to force employers to give special new treatment to big labor. And listen to this, new emission standards for the airlines. Are you kidding me? This is the moment to debate new regulations that have nothing whatsoever to do with this crisis? That's what they're up to over there. American people need to know it. Democrats won't let us fund hospitals or save small businesses unless they get to dust off the Green New Deal. I'd like to see Demo Senate Democrats tell New York City doctors and nurses who are literally overrun as we speak, that they're filibustering hospital funding and more masks because they want to argue with the airlines over their carbon footprint? I'd like to see Senate Democrats tell small business employees in their states who are literally being laid off every day that they're filibustering relief that will keep people on the payroll because Democrat special interest friends want to 
squeeze employers while they're vulnerable. Squeeze these employers while they're vulnerable. I'd like to see Senate Democrats tell all American seniors who've seen their hard-earned retirement savings literally melt away as the markets track toward their worst month since 1931, that they're continuing to hold up emergency measures over tax credits for solar panels. Tax credits for solar panels. Even with the Federal Reserve announcing even further extraordinary steps today, the markets are tanking once again, as I said, because this body can't get its act together. And the only reason it can't get its act together is right over here on the other side of the aisle. So these are just a few of the completely non-germane wish list items that they're rallying behind preventing us from getting this emergency relief to the American people right now. Eleventh hour demand to Democrats have decided are more important than Americans' paychecks and the personal safety of doctors and nurses. So remember what one of Speaker Pelosi's top lieutenants in the House said just a few days ago, and this is a direct quote, this is a tremendous opportunity to restrict things to fit our vision, to fit our vision. That was the Democratic whip in the House, just laying it out there. Reminds me of the definition of Washington gaff. when a politician in Washington tells you what he really means. And we heard something similar here on the Senate floor last night, just last night. Here was one of our Democratic colleagues, quote, how many times are we going to get a shot at a $1 trillion-plus program? Right here on the floor last night. I don't know how many trillion-plus packages we're going to have. In other words, let's don't waste this opportunity to take full advantage and get our whole wish list done. They ought to be embarrassed, Mr. President. In fact, I've heard from some of them who are embarrassed. Talking like this is some juicy political opportunity. This is not a juicy political opportunity. This is a national emergency. We had days of productive bipartisan talks to get to this point. Senate Democrats sat down with Senate Republicans and negotiated furiously to get to this point. The bill now contains a huge number of changes that our Democratic colleagues requested, including major changes. We were this close, this close. And yesterday morning, the Speaker of the House flew back from San Francisco. And suddenly, the Senate's serious bipartisan process turned into this left-wing episode of supermarket sweep. Unrelated issues left and right. I'll tell you what will really lower our carbon footprint, Mr. President. If the entire economy continues to crumble, with hundreds of thousands more Americans laid off because Senate Democrats won't let us act, that'll lower our carbon footprint, all right. Every single American outside of Washington knows this is no time for this nonsense. A surgeon in Fresno, California says, quote, we're at war with no ammo, 
we are at war with no ammo. That's a surgeon in Fresno. An intensive care nurse in New York City says, if we don't get the proper equipment soon, we are going to get sick. Democrats are filibustering more masks and aid for hospitals. Every day, more Americans wake up to the news that their jobs are gone. Their jobs are gone. Democrats are filibustering programs to keep people on the payroll. And they're filibustering a huge expansion of unemployment insurance, which they themselves negotiated and put into the bill. Hundreds of dollars extra per week for laid off workers on top of existing unemployment benefits. And Democrats are blocking it. This has got to stop. And today's the day it has to stop. The country's out of time, out of time. When the Democratic House passed their phase two bill, even though Senate Republicans would have written it very differently, we sped it through the Senate and passed it quickly without even amending it. I literally told my colleagues to gag and vote for it for the sake of building bipartisan momentum because Republicans understand that a national crisis calls for urgency and it calls for bipartisanship. <clears throat> it's time for that good faith to be reciprocated. It's time for Democrats to stop playing politics and step up to the plate. The small businesses in their own states deserve it. <clears throat> their own state's emergency room doctors deserve it. Their own constituents who've lost their jobs deserve it. In my home state of Kentucky, the governor has effectively paused commerce across the state and our unemployment system crashed due to demand. Kentuckians need help now and we aren't alone. I've heard the pleas from healthcare workers in New York and Seattle. I've listened to the small business owners crying out in Brooklyn and Chicago. Why does only one side understand that this is urgent? Why are these hard hit cities, our own senators are happy really to keep this slow walking going on? indefinitely? Is that really something these folks on the other side are comfortable with? Indefinitely slow walking all of this? How can half the Senate not rise to the occasion? At a time when everybody else in the country is pulling together. They're pulling us apart. The examples are all over the country that we ought to look to. Healthcare heroes, to neighborhood volunteers, to national industries, everybody is unifying and pitching in. What about here in the Senate? Time to get with the program.
time to pass historic relief that we have built together. The country doesn't have time for these political games. They need progress. So we're going to vote in just a few minutes. And I assure you, Mr. President, the American people will be watching. Right, so they did take the vote again. No greater success either. Um, look, there will be no reciprocation. Just because the just because Republicans in the Senate pushed through the Democrat bill because they said uh, this is this is uh, ex- an extreme uh, catastrophe. We are in crisis. We need to all work together. So give us your bill. We'll push it through. Trump signs it. Keep the momentum going. That is not the way the Democrats play this game. They are legislative terrorists. They are using the crisis as leverage against you. And they're using people as leverage. They're using businesses as leverage. They're afraid that Donald Trump comes out of this looking strong. And so they are perfectly happy to crash the entire economy. I don't know I don't know any other way to read this except like that. I don't know what the house is doing. If you don't know what your house is doing and you want to get a uh, a professional to come in and explain and help you navigate buying or selling a home in this current economy, Rowena Patton is the only one to call. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Their phone number is 333-4483. And she and her team, they've given back now almost $800,000 to local folks who are police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, veterans, active duty, retired. Uh, it's through the Homes for Heroes program. It's a national program. She is the only realtor in Asheville that's part of this program. Call the only agent that I would call, buying or selling, no matter the economy, Rowena Patton and the all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483, or go online, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. So here's Chuck Schumer, Democratic leader in the U.S. Senate. What did he have to say for himself and why they voted to filibuster this relief bill, this relief package that they themselves had negotiated? Well, let's hear Well, every time we hear the majority leader come out, it's a partisan screed. Well, I'm in my office with the president, secretary of treasury, the president's congressional liaison, getting things done. We Democrats are trying to get things done, not making partisan speech after partisan speech. Now, in the past 24 hours, we got word that a member of this chamber, Senator Paul, has tested positive for coronavirus. And the husband of another member, Senator Klobuchar, also tested positive. He's in the hospital. I want to let them know, both of them, that the Senate's thinking of them, praying for their speedy recovery, as we are for tens of thousands of American families who are confronting the same situation right now. Whether you're afraid for a sick family member, an older relative in the hospital, or are struggling without work, income, 
or the knowledge of when your isolation might end, our thoughts are with you right now. These are trying times for all of us, but the scourge of this disease will pass. The American people, as always, will prevail. As the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in the United States eclipses 35,000, the Senate continues to negotiate what will likely be the largest emergency funding bill in American history. As I've mentioned, we've had almost continuous discussions with Secretary Mnuchin. He left my office at about 12.15 last night and was there at about 9 this morning. The White House Congressional Liaison, Eric Uland, has been in and out of the office as well. We're very close to reaching a deal, very close. And our goal is to reach a deal today. And we're hopeful, even confident, that we will meet that goal. We've been working on a few outstanding issues that are no surprise to everyone. From the very beginning, Democrats have insisted on a Marshall Plan for our medical system. More money for hospitals community health centers, nursing homes, and urgent medical supplies like gloves and masks, ICU beds, testing kits, ventilators, and PPEP. Since our negotiations, the numbers have gone up dramatically because the hospitals, our healthcare workers, need the help. We're fighting hard and making progress for funding for state and local governments. They're propping up local healthcare networks virtually on their own their revenues are dramatically declining. Many towns and villages across America, the smaller ones in particular, might be going broke pretty soon if we do nothing. If we can help the big corporations, we can help our local towns and villages and the taxpayers they represent. On unemployment insurance, the bill has moved in the direction we've outlined. The original bill had the unexpanded employment benefits last only three months. We need to make it longer because the dislocation caused by this crisis will not be over in 90 days and people who lose their jobs need help. But it says to every American who loses his or her job, the democratic plan that is now in the bill, that you will get your full pay from the federal government. You can be furloughed by your employer. That means you'll keep your benefits, health and otherwise. And it means that you'll be able to come back and the business you had to leave can reassemble itself quickly after, God willing, this crisis ends. The bill still includes something that most Americans don't want to see. Large corporate bailouts with no almost no strings attached. Maybe the majority leader thinks it's unfair to ask protections for workers and labor to companies that are getting hundreds of billions of dollars. We think it's very fair to ask for those. Those are not extraneous issues. That is a wish list for workers, nobody else. And so we are looking for protection. We're looking for oversight. If this federal government's making a big loan to someone, to a big company, we ought to know it and know the details immediately. The bill that was put on the floor by the Republican leader said no one would know a thing about those loans for six months at least. And in those things, in those so-called bailouts, we need to protect workers, the workers those industries employ, employ. We've been guided by one plan, 
Workers First. That's the name of our proposal. The bill needs to reflect that priority. Now, we're working on all these items in good faith as we speak, and we hope and expect to conclude negotiations today. This vote in the Senate, it's no surprise, it's about, it's, it's to take a merely repeat of the vote that failed last night. Leader McConnell continues to set arbitrary vote deadlines when the matter of real importance is the status of the bipartisan negotiations. So let me be clear. The upcoming procedural votes are essentially irrelevant. The negotiations continue no more than 30 feet away from the floor of the Senate in our offices, where the real progress is taking place. Once we have an agreement that everyone can get behind, we're prepared to speed up the consideration of that agreement on the floor. So I'm going to get back to negotiations. We all know time is of the essence. The country is facing the twin crises in our health care system and in our economy. We have an obligation to get the details right, get them done quickly. That doesn't mean blindly accepting a Republican-only bill. That was the bill we were given. Lots of things we didn't even know about Saturday. That means working to make this bill better, better for our small businesses, better for our working families, better for our health care system. Democrats. Democrats will not stop working with our Republican counterparts until we get the job done. I'll continue to update the Senate on the progress of our negotiations. All righty. So Workers First is the name of their bill. Workers First. Workers First. Okay. So Philip Wegman at Real Clear Politics says some of the new demands from Nancy Pelosi that have ticked off Republicans, according to a senior GOP Senate aide, for example, the Workers First Unprecedented collective bargaining powers for unions. Workers first. Number two, increased fuel emissions standards for airlines. Because workers first. Expansion of wind and solar tax credits. Because workers first. Not only are these completely unrelated to the coronavirus epidemic, the aide said... They could prevent companies from participating in the loan programs altogether, directly causing even more unnecessary layoffs. Then there was this bit from Maggie Haberman at the New York Times. She tweets out a story about 24 hours ago. Uh, The headline is, Wartime President? Trump rewrites history in an election year. The president is brazenly grabbing his only clear option to bolster his re-election hopes, portraying himself as a take-charge leader, blah, blah, blah. And Maggie Haberman sends this story out with a tweet that says, Some Democrats are betting that Trump will be received as Bush post-Katrina, as opposed to Bush post 9-11. And there's a split among Democrats about how they ought to be handling Trump in this moment, which so far has ended up benefiting the president. So while we are all hunkered down in our homes and apartments, not working, not making any money, and the entire economy is beginning to crumble and collapse all around us, launching what could be a Great Depression number two, All of this, and Democrats are worried about how Trump is going to be perceived in the upcoming election. 
But luckily, people like Maggie Haberman, see, she gets to help craft the narrative. When the Democrats filibustered that relief package, New York Times headline, when, here was the original headline that they posted. Democrats block action on $1.8 trillion stimulus. That was the first headline the New York Times put out. Democrats block action on $1.8 trillion stimulus. A little while later, same night, a little while later, it became Democrats block action on stimulus plan seeking workers' protections. And then a little while later, this was all in the course of about an hour or two, that then became partisan divide threats, uh, threatens deal on rescue bill. So what started off as an indictment and, and an assignment of blame on the Democrats within the course of an hour or so turns into partisan divide threatens deal. I wonder how that happened. I wonder why that happened. This idea, by the way, that the big corporations, they shouldn't be getting any money. You know, big corporations, they actually employ people, too. I'm not sure if Democrats are aware of that. Uh, Look, if you like the content here and you want to support the program, I would always appreciate the uh, donations at the Patreon page. But uh, also, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up. Give it a positive review. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for all of your support. Uh, you can go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Join the Facebook group. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>